In the previous Mishnah we learned that since the Halacha is that if a woman is captured by non-Jews, we assume that she has had relations with them, and she is therefore forbidden to marry a Koyain, if she claims that she didn't have relations with them, we don't believe her. She's testifying about herself in order to permit herself to marry somebody, and she is not believed. However, the previous Mishnah taught that if two women are captured together, and each one of them testifies about the other one, that they didn't have relations with the non-Jews. Even though there is suspicion that perhaps they're working together, and they agreed with each other that each one will testify about each other, so that they'll both be able to marry a Koyain, Nevertheless, since the entire law that she should be forbidden to marry a Koyen is only based on a suspicion, so as soon as there is any evidence to say that she didn't have relations, we believe that and she would be permitted to marry a Koyen. Now the next two Mishnahis discuss what testimony is necessary in order to establish a person to be a Koyen. And according to the Tanakama, the opinion of this Mishnah, the same law which applies in the previous Mishnah applies in this case as well. The same would apply to two men. If this one says that I'm a Koyen, talking about himself, and another man says that I'm a Koyen, then they are not believed, they're testifying about themselves for their own advantage. However, in a time, in a scenario where each one is testifying about each other, in such a case, they are believed, and we would consider them to be a koyain, such that if they come to the threshing floor requesting truma, which is the part of the produce which a farmer must give to a koyain, and a non-koyain is forbidden to eat it, if such a man would come to the threshing floor requesting truma, one would give it to him, and he would be established as a Koyain. And we're going to see in the following Mishnah three opposing opinions. So altogether there are four opinions arguing about what testimony is necessary to allow this man to be considered a Koyain with regards to eating truma. However, their entire argument is only regarding that. There is a separate issue regarding establishing a person to be a Koyain, and that is regarding marriage. When it comes to the marriages of Koyanim, we are particularly strict and careful to ensure that the holiness and the pure status of Koyanim's families is maintained. We already saw in the previous parak that if somebody if a woman is seen to have relations with somebody, then according to some opinions, we already need to cons- be concerned that she had relations with a mumza or a nosin who would invalidate her from marrying a koyain. There is special care taken in order to maintain that kudusha, that holiness and purity of the families of koyanim. And therefore, even once we establish this man as a koyain, unless there are two witnesses who can establish him as a koyain, or if they are able to trace his ancestry to make sure that indeed he is a valid koyain, without that we are concerned that he is a cholol. A cholol is somebody who was a koyain, or whose grandfather or his father was a koyain, but somewhere through the line of his family, one of them married a woman who was forbidden to marry a koyain. For example, a divorcee. Any child and any descendant born from that marriage between a Koyen and a divorcee is called a Cholol, and he is disqualified from being a Koyen. He can't serve in the Beis HaMikdash, and as well as that, a woman who marries a Cholol becomes a Chalola. And that means that she, after her husband dies, she would be forbidden to marry a Koyen as well. So though according to this Tana, even one witness is believed 
to testify that somebody is a koyain, that is only enough to allow him to eat truma. But when it comes to him marrying a woman who wishes to marry a koyain, we do not immediately assume that he is a totally valid koyain. They need to trace his ancestry and see whether indeed his father and grandfather and great-grandfather were all valid koyanim, and only then would he be able to marry a woman and for her to be considered a pure woman and who is not considered a chalala. Okay, Mishnah Ches. So according to the previous Tana in the previous Mishnah, not only is one witness valid to establish a person to be a Koyain regarding eating truma, but even if there is a suspicion that perhaps they're working together, we still believe them. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, We never raise someone to be considered a Koyain by the testimony of one witness. Unless he was until now, of course, considered to be a Koyain, then of course he's already got a Chazaka an assumed status of being a Koyain. We're talking about somebody who until now is assumed not to be a Koyain. If one witness comes and testifies that he is a Koyain, that is not enough even for eating truma according to Rabbi Yehuda. The reason being that Rabbi Yehuda is concerned that if we consider him to be a Koyain regarding eating truma, then people will end up considering him a full Koyain also with regards to his marriages. And a woman who has pure ancestry, who wishes to marry a Koyain, she would marry him without thinking twice, and she would end up being a chalala. And so to prevent that happening, we do not consider him a koyain regarding eating truma as well. Om Rabbi Lazar, third opinion, Rabbi Lazar said, Amosai, when is it that we do not believe one witness in a situation where there are arguing witnesses who claim that he is not a koyain? Well, the truth is they're not witnesses, but there are rumors going around that perhaps this person's father married a divorcee and he's considered to be a cholol, so he's forbidden to eat truma. If there are rumors such as these, then one witness is not enough to establish him to be a koyain. But in a situation where there are no rumors going around, there aren't other people who are arguing against this testimony, then we would raise somebody to be considered a koyain by the testimony of even one witness. Now, Rabbi Lozar still argues with the Tanakama of the previous Mishnah, because in that situation where there are two people testifying about each other, Rabbi Lozar says that they wouldn't be believed because we suspect that they are working together. Alright, and fourth opinion, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Ben Asagan, Gamliel said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Ben Asagan, that we do raise a person and establish him to be a Koyain by the testimony of even one witness. Now, this seems to be exactly the same as the opinion of Rabbi Elazar, but the Gemara explains that there is one case where Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is more lenient, and that is a scenario, a very specific scenario, where a man was considered and assumed to be a Koyain until now. But then rumors began spreading that his father had married a divorcee. And he was born from that marriage, so he's considered to be a cholol. And as a result, the Basin declared him to not be a koyain and forbidden to eat truma. Now, after that happened, one single witness came and testified that he is a koyain. So the Basin said that, you know what, we're going to establish him again to be a koyain and he can eat truma. After that, two witnesses came and claimed that he was not considered to be a koyain. So the Basin indeed declared him not to be a koyain and he was forbidden to eat truma. And after that, one witness came and testified that he is considered to be a koyain. So according to Rabbi Lazar, since we just had two witnesses who testified that he's not a koyain, the single witness is certainly not strong enough to go against the testimony of two witnesses, so he remains forbidden to eat truma. However, according to Shimon Gamliel, we join together this single witness 
together with the single witness who testified earlier on that he is a Koyain, and now we have two against two, so we don't accept either of their testimonies. They both break away, which means that he goes back to his original status, which was being a Koyain. And even though before all of these testimonies began, there were rumors which said that he wasn't a Koyain, and that was enough for the Bastin to declare him not to be a Koyain, since that happened only earlier on, and since then there has been testimonies, so now we consider the rumors to be irrelevant, and we only care about the testimonies, and since there's two against two, so they break each other apart, and the Koyain is given his original status of being a Koyain, and so he is allowed to eat Truma. However, according to Shabir the two individual witnesses do not join together, and therefore we followed the two witnesses who came together and said that he wasn't a Koyain, so he would be forbidden to eat Truma. Mr. Tess, as we have mentioned a couple of times already in the Masechta, if a woman who is already married to a particular man, if she has relations with another man, is she permitted to continue living with her real husband? So the answer is it depends. If the husband is a Koyain, then it is certainly forbidden. However, if the husband is not a Koyain, then she would only be forbidden if she had relations with another man willingly. But if she was forced to have relations, and the husband is not a Koyain, then she would be permitted to continue living and being married to her husband. Says the Mishnah, a woman who was imprisoned in the hands of non-Jews, because of a monetary matter. Either the woman or her husband owed them money, and they hadn't yet paid, so they captured his wife, or if she was the one who owed them money, they captured her, in order that they would ransom her and they would receive their money. So once she is let out, she is permitted to continue living with her husband, even if her husband is a Koyain, which means that we assume that she did not have relations even forcibly, whilst she was captured by them. And the Gemara explains we're talking about a situation where the Jews were more powerful, and so if the non-Jews were found to have forced her to have relations in order to get their money back, then they would have lost their rights to get the money back. And because of that, they are not suspected at all of having forced her to have relations, so even if her husband was a Koyain, once she is freed, she would be permitted to continue living with her husband. On the other hand, Aldine Foshais, if she was imprisoned for a matter of death, meaning she had been sentenced to death, then Asula Bala, she is forbidden for her husband, if she ends up being freed, even if her husband is not a Koyain. Because in this case, we are concerned that perhaps she had relations with them willingly. Maybe in order to free herself, she had relations with one of the guards, and because of that, if she does end up being freed, she will be forbidden to continue living with her husband, even if her husband is a regular Yisrael. Next, a city which was conquered by an enemy army which has besieged the city, and the enemy has now entered the city, and they are pillaging throughout the city. The halach is that if that happens, then all women who are married to Koyanim, or who are permitted to marry Koyanim, who are found throughout the city, are now invalid to be married to their husbands, or to marry in the future a Koyan. Because when such an event happens, we are concerned that the non-Jewish army and their soldiers violated the women who are inside the city and forced them to have relations. And so we have this assumption regarding every single woman in the city, so she will be forbidden to marry a Koyain. This is another example where we see how concerned and careful we are to maintain the pure and holy ancestry of the Koyanim and their families, such that this is enough of a concern to forbid every woman in that 
city to marry a Koyen. However, says the Mishnah, since at the end of the day this is only based on a suspicion, if any of the women have witnesses, even one witness, and the truth is, even one witness who is generally considered an invalid witness, even a slave, even a female slave, we're talking about non-Jewish slaves here, they would be believed if they testify that they were with the woman throughout this time that the enemy army entered into the city, and they saw that she wasn't forced to have relations, then they would be believed and she would still be permitted to be married to a Koyain. However, the Adam Neemon Agdei a person is not trusted regarding themselves to testify either about themselves or something which is directly a benefit for them. As is illustrated from the next story, Omar Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsov. Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsov. Katsov is either a name or it means a butcher. Rizchaya, the son of a butcher, said, and he was a Koyain. And it once happened that in the city where he was, the enemy army entered, and after this event, he came to Beistin and he said, Hamoin Hazeh, which literally is a reference to the Beis Hamikdash, and he was using that term as an expression of a Shavua, an oath. And he said, talking about his wife, he said, her hand didn't move from my hand, from the time that the non-Jews entered the city of Yerushalayim until they left. We were holding hands that entire time, and nobody forced her to have relations. But Omulo the Chachom said to him, Ain Adam Neidai A man is not able to testify about something which concerns himself, and therefore, despite the fact that you are certainly not lying, he was one of the leading Tamidi Chachom of the generation, nevertheless, the halacha is that a man is not trusted, even in this case, where we don't require totally valid testimony. Even a non-Jewish slave is enough. However, if it concerns himself, even if he is the biggest Talmud Chacham, he is not believed. And we see in this Mishnah the power of Nagius, the power of bias, and how somebody can distort the truth when he is involved, and if it will benefit himself. And for that reason, even in this case, nobody can be trusted if the matter concerns something which affects him and would benefit him. Mr. Yud, this Mishnah ends off the Perek which has been discussing the trustworthiness of witnesses and people in all different cases. And the Mishnah tells us that in the following cases one is believed to testify when he is an adult above the age of Bar Mitzvah about something which he saw whilst he was still a Kotlan under the age of Bar Mitzvah. Although the halacha is that a witness is only valid if he was valid at the time that he saw the event, and he has to have been valid since that time that he saw it until he comes to the basin to testify about it, and in this case he wasn't a valid witness when he saw it, because a child is an invalid witness, nevertheless, because all of the following cases are midrabonon, he is considered to be a valid witness, and his testimony would be accepted. Firstly, Neman Adam Leimar, a man is believed to say, Zek shall Abba, this signature is the handwriting of my father, we're talking about document. If a document has signatures on it, which every document should, the document is only considered valid after Kiyom Shtoros has taken place. Kiyom Shtoros is when witnesses come and testify about those signatures, to verify that indeed they did come from valid witnesses. However, this requirement is only mid-rabbonon. Mid-eraisa, the signature on the document, makes the document valid in itself. 
And therefore, this person is believed to say that the signature on this document is similar to a signature which I saw when I was a child. I haven't seen my father's handwriting since I was a child, but from what I remember, this signature is indeed his handwriting. So since he must have seen his father's handwriting very often, and he is familiar with it, so he would be believed. Or if he says, this is the handwriting of my teacher, this is the handwriting of my brother. In all of these cases, he would be believed. Secondly, if he says, I remember that a particular woman, she went out to her wedding with a veil, and her hair was untied and let out over her shoulders. As we saw at the beginning of this perek, that was customarily done uh, particularly at a Basula's wedding, the wedding of a woman who had never had relations before. And by him giving this testimony, she would be entitled to a kasuba of 200 zuz. So since the obligation of kasuba is only midrabonon, as well as the fact that most women who get married have never got married before, so anyway, the majority of women would have a kasuba of 200 zuz. Because of those two reasons, he would be believed. Thirdly, if he testifies that so-and-so would go out from school with us, to purify himself in a mikveh in order to be able to eat truma. Or he would come with us to take a share of truma at the threshing floor from the farmers. So he is effectively testifying that this ba- that this man is a koyen. He would be believed, however, he's only believed concerning truma midrabonon. The man who he is testifying about would only be able to eat truma which was obligated midrabonon. Since as we said, midraisa, a witness is only valid if he was valid already from the time where he saw the event. Next case, number four, the Hamokmazebesa Pras. This area is a Besa Pras. A Besa Pras is a field which was plowed, but there was a grave which had been in the field. But somebody plowed over that grave, and we're concerned that there are parts of that dead body spread across the entire field. And because of that, Midrabonon, anywhere within a hundred Amas of where the grave had been, is considered Tome, and a Koen will be forbidden to enter there. A Koen is forbidden to become Tome from a dead body. So if this man testifies that he remembers when this field was declared a Beis Apras, and where exactly the boundaries of the Beis Apras are, so it would be believed, and anywhere outside of that boundary a coin would be able to enter, even if it's in the same field, because again Beis Apras is Midrabonon. And finally, if he says, Up until this point, we would walk on Shabbos. There is a prohibition, Midrabonon, at least according to this Mishnah, it's Midrabonon, to walk further than the Tuchum Shabbos, which is the maximum distance of 2,000 Amas outside of the city. And it would be quite complicated to measure the distance. So if this man says that he remembers from his childhood that the Tuchum Shabbos ends at a particular point, since it's Midrabonon, he would be believed. However, says Mishnah, but a person would not be believed to say, based on what he saw when he was a child, that so-and-so had the right of passage in this place through somebody else's field. Or a particular person had a right to stop and sit down in a particular person's field on the way to a funeral and eulogize the dead man. That was the custom in those days. But these two things are monetary matters. And therefore we need testimony which is totally valid. And so if it's based on what he saw when he was not a valid witness, then he would not be relied on.